Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Today I want to talk about a sensitive and maybe even a moving issue, and that is I want to talk about managing or leading organizational grief. Now what I mean by this is the grief that results when someone dies that's within your organization or closely related to your organization, uh, within your church or closely related to your church, someone that's uh, well-known, beloved, or in some way has uh, a profound emotional impact on large numbers of people simultaneously that are part of your church or your organization or your ministry setting. Uh, This can happen when, for example, uh, a deacon or an elder dies. And particularly if someone like this passes away uh, in an untimely fashion when they're really a lot younger than you would have expected a person like this to pass away. I know a number of years ago in our church, we had a man in his early 50s. He was a recognized leader in our church. In fact, in many ways, he was the, the most influential leader in our congregation. He was a professional man, a, an executive Everyone respected him, looked up to him. He was also a humble man, uh, very quiet, unassuming in how he conducted himself at church. He was also a very generous person who very quietly uh, gave of his both finances and time to help the church and to help people in the church. He was uh, at the peak, really, of his leadership capacity in the church when uh, suddenly and unexpectedly he died of a heart attack. It was a devastating experience for the church. When I was a pastor, I had a couple of different examples like this. Uh, One of them was a mass casualty incident related to a school bus accident when I was early in my pastoral ministry. Almost everyone in our church either knew someone who was killed in the accident or knew the family of someone or knew the teachers from the school where the children went to school, that kind of thing. And it was a, a, a grievous experience for our whole church to go through that together. Another church example was uh, when a person who had really wanted to have a baby for a long time finally became pregnant and uh, gave birth. Everything seemed fine. And then a few uh, weeks later, uh, in kind of a, an unex- well, certainly unexpected, but almost a freakish kind of illness, the child died. And it was a... It was an emotional setback, really, for the whole church to have to go through that with this family that we cared so much about. Uh, It could be a car accident that kills a teenager or a young person who gets killed in a war. Anytime you have an untimely death or someone who passes away that um, was really beloved by the whole organization, the whole church, that kind of thing, you're going to have what I call organizational or even institutional grief. Now, we've recently been through this here at Gateway Seminary. We had a series of events over about a two-week span where we had people that we care greatly for uh, have uh, heart attacks and uh, another one quadruple bypass surgery and then another one passed away. And then uh, as a, in the context of all of that, one of our faculty members died. And this faculty member was uh, beloved, respected, very popular, 
and the kind of person that made it a pleasure to come to work every day. And so in the context of dealing with all of that, I was thinking about the podcast and about some things I could say to you about what you do when you're managing organizational or institutional grief. Now, some of the principles are the same as when you're working with an individual or a family, but some things are different or unique when you're talking about hundreds of people all going through a grief experience simultaneously. So today, let me give you four or five suggestions that are key aspects of leading through organizational grief. Now, before I give you those, let me remind you of one thing to keep in mind. And that is, when you're talking about organizational grief, not everyone will be grieving because not everyone was invested in the relationship. Now, this became very clear to me here at Gateway when uh, our faculty member passed away, and it was evident throughout the organization that this was a devastating experience. People were weeping openly at their desks when they found out. Um, employees were unable to function, faculty, some were unable to teach their classes and simply had to cancel for the week. Um, it, it, was a, it was that kind of experience. And so in the context of that, one of our newer employees who's come to work for us uh, around the beginning of the pandemic and has been a part of being here with a lot of people working from home and a scattered uh, workforce and uh, all of that, he, he, uh, I, I, he stopped me and said, Dr. Orge, uh, who was this person who died, and, and why is everyone so sad? Well, he wasn't being uh, uncaring. He honestly didn't know. And when I told him about the situation, he said, you know, I've never met this person. How long have they worked here? And I realized that this employee who'd been here about six months or so had no frame of reference for the person dying and the impact it was having because they had no real emotional investment in the person that we had lost. And that reminded me that while the most of our organization was experiencing the grief in one way, uh, large portions of our organization that are at other campuses and students in other programs really had no frame of reference for what the seminary, for what many at the seminary were going through. So keep this in mind. Uh, and it's one of the challenges of leading through organizational grief. And that is when you are working in a church or a ministry organization or some other setting where uh, the death of someone impacts large numbers of people in the organization, remember there are going to be some pockets of people in the organization who aren't impacted at all. And this cre can create some tension because the people who are grieving wonder, well, what's wrong with these uncaring people who don't understand what I'm going through? And the people who are not grieving because they have no real relationship with the person who's died, they're wondering, well, why can't I just keep on with my work or keep on with my classes or keep on with my life? Because unfortunately, I didn't even know the person. So you have some built-in tensions that you may have to manage between people who are responding to a situation in very different ways. But I want to focus now the rest of the podcast on what do you do uh, with the people who are grieving when you have a, a, a large number of people in an organization that are simultaneously impacted by the death of someone that was very significant to all of them. Number one, first of all, recognize the grief process is happening simultaneously to a lot of people. Now, from other podcasts and other teachings, you've heard me say that I like a six-fold model of grief and grieving. Uh, grief involves shock, anger, denial, bargaining, exploration, and adjustment. 
The first four of those, shock, anger, denial, bargaining, are sort of the dark side of living through grief. And then exploration and adjustment are those positive steps that you start to take when it's time to really emotionally heal and deal with the loss that you've experienced. But remember that when you have an organizational grief experience, large numbers of people are going through shock, anger, denial, and bargaining simultaneously. Now, you hope that you'll eventually lead them to exploration and adjustment. We'll talk about that a little later in the podcast. But for now, just recognize that many people are going through all of this at the same time. Now, while they're all going through a similar process at the same time, they definitely are not doing it in the same way, at the same rate, or on the same pace. So some are shocked, some are angry, some are in denial, some are bargaining, And they are ricocheting around between these four aspects of the grief process like a pinball in a pinball machine, moving from place to place and point to point and emotion to emotion as they're processing the loss that they've experienced. And then compounding the problem, these are all phases they're experiencing, not steps. They're phases or stages, not steps. In other words, there's not step one, step two, step three, step four. No, there's instead these four broad categories, shock, anger, denial, bargaining, and people are moving in, uh, through these four and back and forth between them and, ca- and uh, uh, caroming around uh, be- not only within them but between them in random fashion. So that while one person is in shock, another person is angry, another person is in denial, another person is bargaining, then back to shock, back to anger, back to denial, and you have maybe tens or hundreds or even thousands of people going through all of this simultaneously, but not all at the same time, in the same way, at the same rate, or at the same pace. Now this makes leading in this context extremely challenging. Because you must lead in such a way that you're facilitating all of these people in some fashion moving toward exploration and adjustment to help them in the process of resolving their, their loss and their grief. Another thing that compounds this problem is that while it's happening simultaneously to all of these people and yet randomly and, uh, and in different orders and in different ways and at different rates and at different times and different paces, these people are also perhaps experiencing other losses at the same time, which compound what they're experiencing in your context. I know this is what happened to me here at the seminary. Uh, The same week the faculty member died, I was dealing with a friend who had a major health crisis resulting in quadruple bypass surgery and all of the threat that brought to our relationship and the sense of feared loss that I felt. And while that was going on, I found out that another dear friend that I'd known for years and years and years and shared many meaningful ministry experiences passed away also of heart failure. And so all of this was happening simultaneous to, the de- to dealing with the institutional grief of the death of our faculty member. And I wasn't the only one having these sort of waves of grief washing over me. Others were having the same thing. Now, you, you might think... Given that situation, leading through that is an impossibility. Well, it's not an impossibility, but it does require some skill and some discipline that leaders must demonstrate in order to move people through this kind of process together. So first of all, recognize what's happening and be aware of the dynamics of the situation. And because of that, measure and gauge your response accordingly. Second thing I would say is in this context, it's important to manage 
and disseminate information carefully. When there is a grief situation that comes from a significant loss, the rumor mill will start cranking out uh, answers and solutions and perspectives and opinions uh, in ways that will, will, that will spin your mind and baffle you at the speed at which they can get that kind of information out. It's very important, though, for you as a leader not to get caught up in this. So listen to this phrase. Announce what you know and only what you know and only after you know it for sure. Announce what you know and only what you know and only after you know it for sure. Uh, an example again from our situation. Uh, our faculty member that passed away had a catastrophic sudden illness. Now you might say, well, did the person have a heart attack? Well, I don't know that. And so when I wrote my uh, email and press release that went out announcing the death of this person, I did not speculate as to the cause of death. I didn't mention any possible causes of death. I didn't uh, opine on that which I have really no information. Now, people who were present at the time this person died told me that it appeared they were in cardiac distress and that they perhaps had a heart attack. And that may very well be what the medical community ultimately concludes happens, and if so, and if it's appropriate, we would announce that. But one of the mistakes you can make as a leader is, by, is announcing what, more information than you really know and announcing it before you really know for sure what happened. Now, the reason this is so vital, besides just being honest, the reason this is so vital is because your followers are hanging on every word that you release about this situation. And so that means that when you do send out an email or create a press release or in some way publicize what's happened, you want to do that very, very carefully. So, for example, I wrote these words. Our friend died after a sudden medical incident. That's all I said. I didn't speculate or explain or try to describe what happened. And when people read that, I'm sure they wondered, well, what kind of sudden medical incident? And if they had asked me, my answer would have been, I don't know. We'll wait for the physicians to make the final determination about that before we release any further information. Another thing that uh, people w want in that uh, you to communicate very clearly is your empathy and your compassion for them and for the situation. Sometimes leaders are so fixated on solving the problems created by someone's death, who's going to take their place in the ministry uh, organization, who's going to see their immediate responsibilities, who's going to, uh, what are we going to do to take care of their family, how are we going to plan the memorial service, and all of these things must be addressed, no, no doubt. But in your, in your communication to grieving people, you want to lay out what happened, precisely what you know about it, and nothing more than that, and then be empathetic and supportive and not preachy, but de definitely directing their attention to God and his word, even in the early phases of helping them to understand and manage their grief. Now, it's also important when you're communicating pe with people during this context to, to plan to repeat yourself and to, quote, clarify the obvious. Grieving people process information poorly. Now, all of you have worked with people who've been grieving uh, in family situations, and you know what I mean. Here, here's just one example. You go to visit someone's home. Uh, it's a widow. Her husband has recently died, and you say, I want to help you plan the memorial service. Oh, thank you, Pastor. Uh, now we need to talk about 
the pallbearers. And she said, oh, you don't need to worry about that. My husband knew who he wanted. In fact, he made a list of them and put them in his Bible. Let me get that for you. And she finds the Bible and pulls out a piece of paper that was used as a bookmark and said, here's who he wanted to be the pallbearers at his service. And you take that and you put it in your Bible and say, thank you. I'll contact these men and we'll make sure that they're a part of the service. Then an hour later, uh, you're visiting in the kitchen with some people who brought some food or you're talking to other family members. And the same widow comes bustling in and says, pastor, I've been thinking we need to talk about the pallbearers. Now, what are you going to say as a pastor? You're going to say, well, we've already done that. Are you crazy? Can't you remember anything? What's wrong with you, woman? No, you're not going to say that. As a pastor, you're going to say, yes, you're right. We do need to talk about that. Do you have anything you want to share with me about that? And let her tell you again who the pallbearers are going to be or that, that information because you recognize grieving people process information poorly. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with them. It just means their mind is so scattered, so frazzled that they're not thinking clearly. We certainly saw that here at the seminary, and I've seen it over and over again in different contexts. I send out information. It seems pretty clear to me. And then people ask me that same information the next day or the following day. They're checking. They're wanting clarification. They're asking for information. And I'm tempted to say, you know, as a leader, can, can you read? I already sent this to you. But that's not the right approach, and it's not the approach I took, and it's not the approach you should take. Instead, prepare to repeat yourself. Prepare to share the same information over and over in different venues, in different ways, in different contexts. But prepare to communicate and to over-communicate with people who are grieving because grieving people process information poorly. And one of the worst mistakes you can make in this context is to become frustrated or short-tempered or to get angry that you're having to repeat yourself or you're having to send out two or three emails or you're having to send out repeated information that you've already sent out before. Don't do that. Just repeat send and give people the information they need in a timely way. So recognize the grief process happening simultaneously to large numbers of people and then manage your information carefully and communicate accurately with them even from the very beginning. Disciplining yourself to resist the temptation to write, to speculate, to share information you don't really have or to pronounce conclusions you're not prepared to, to, to pronounce too quickly. Now, third, another thing that's really helpful in managing grief and communicating information and leading an organizational grief process is creating time and space for expressing grief. Now, let's first of all talk about time, and then we'll talk about space. When I say create time for expressing grief, I mean giving people work time or church time uh, to process their feelings and to process their grief. Now, in a work contest, context, this means saying uh, to employees, you know, let's, let's gather uh, to talk about and to pray about this matter. Or I encourage you to take time today to talk with your coworkers or to meet with a friend or to, uh, to, to, uh, to, and to share your pain as you're dealing with this situation. You say you will actually pay people to grieve? Absolutely yes. Because in a context like this, the most important thing your organization can do with the most important asset they have, which is their people, is to facilitate their grief process and to help them come through it in the healthiest way possible so they can return to even greater productivity. You clamp down in the wrong way and say, hey, listen, save that for after work, save that for break, save that for lunch. Right now we've got work to do. That's going to demoralize people to a level that is beyond real description. You don't want to make that mistake. So give people work time or church time. And when I say church time, what do I mean? I mean, 
time in elders meeting, time in deacons meeting, time in committee meetings, time in Bible study classes, time in Sunday school classes, even time in a worship service to acknowledge grief, share the grief with another person, pray or in other ways receive spiritual support and encouragement. And I don't mean just one time, but I mean in a significant situation, maybe over a period of weeks, this is going to have to take place repeatedly to help people process their grief. So create time and space for expressing grief. And do that, first of all, by giving people work time or church time to process their loss. Now let's talk about creating space. Uh, there are two kinds of space that I want to create for people to help them process grief. The first is electronic space. Uh, create a place where people can log in and write or share their memories of the recently deceased person. Now, depending on how large your organization is, this could be very significant because in the case of Gateway Seminary, we have uh, faculty, staff, and students spread across multiple states, and we have graduates spread across multiple countries around the world. So we created an electronic space, a place that people could log in, type in their, uh, their, their feelings, their, their, their emotions, their stories, their spiritual insights, their encouragement for others, and post it as a place to collect and have a collective memory, if you will, of the person that we, were, that we were thinking about and to process our grief with each other in that context. Another thing uh, that was uh, suggested to me and that, that we did, and I, I have to confess I didn't think of this one quickly enough, some employees asked for it and I responded very pro positively for it, and that is they were asked if, they could, if we could create a space here in our building for people to go and share grief together to just simply have a place that was quiet to talk and to pray and to cry. And so we did that. We actually have a prayer room here at the Ontario campus, and outside that prayer room and just across the hall is a classroom. So we set aside the prayer room and that classroom for three days. And we said, uh, we want to set this space aside. If you need a place to go, to rest, to think, to pray, to cry, and you want to do that with another person or even in private, this would be a location that you could use as a retreat, a space, if you will, for grieving during this time. Now, <clears throat> because I don't have that high a sense of place as some other people do, I sometimes forget this, but I'm reminded how important this is to so many people. Uh, and I, I'll give you the best illustration of this in the culture, and that is these spontaneous memorials that pop up giving people a place they can go to express their grief. When Kobe Bryant died here in uh, the Los Angeles area some months ago, there was a spontaneous memorial that was created for him near the Staples Center. As people showed up and started bringing flowers and small gifts and letters and notes they had written to him and things like that. Uh, we see this anytime uh, someone seems to be uh, 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 lose their life that's a public figure or someone who loses their life in a public location, uh, we, send, we tend to see uh, shrines, memorials created to them in those places. And the reason that that happens is because many people do have a strong sense of place, of wanting to go someplace to express their grief and know that that's a safe place or a good place to go and do that. So create time and space for expressing grief. Now, another aspect of all of this is often organizing a memorial service. Now, I don't have time on this podcast to, do, uh, all, to give you all that I would normally do in that context. I actually, when I teach a preaching class here at Gateway, I usually spend an hour or more talking about planning and developing memorial services. Uh, 
But let me just say two or three things today that will help you as you're thinking about planning a service that really is managing institutional grief with large numbers of people. Number one, resist the temptation that more is better. A longer service is not necessarily a better service. In fact, sometimes a longer service can be so emotionally overwhelming that it begins to be counterproductive in its context. And so I don't have a fixed time. It, that depends on your culture, how, your church, how long your, your church or your organization normally meets for worship and things like that. But you do need to think carefully about not letting it uh, be packed to the point that it begins to be emotionally draining rather than emotionally fulfilling for the people who are participating. And as the leader, you must be kind but firm in limiting the people and the number of people who are going to participate in the service. And then second, I would challenge you as a leader to choose the public participants in a memorial service very carefully. And one of the most important things to keep in mind is choosing people who can make sure that their service in that their service in the service, their leadership of the service, their participation in the service. Make sure you choose people who will view their participation in the service as contributing to helping others resolve their grief, not just publicly expressing their own grief. Now think about that. You want to invite people to lead a memorial service who can lead from the perspective of I'm here to facilitate others resolving their grief, not I'm here to express my grief and to receive some kind of condolences from you as you watch me publicly do this. Public personal catharsis is not good leadership of a memorial service. Instead, the focus must be from those who are leading a service entirely on the grievous, the grieving, the people who need ministry during that service. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, uh, well, Jeff, but what if you've got someone that you feel like you just got to include? That could be a family member. Uh, it could be someone who is involved in that person who died's life in a consequential way. Uh, it, it could be a pastor emeritus. I mean, it, you have someone that you feel like, I, I just have to include them. But you feel like including them is sort of uh, ripe with difficulty. They, for whatever reason, you're not really confident that in their leadership or their, their public ministry, they're going to be able to keep the focus on the people who need to be helped with their grieving. They're going to make it more of a personal thing. Or not just that, but they might become so overwhelmed with the situation emotionally that they just don't handle it very well or don't handle the, the, the situation very well. Well, technology has given us a really good solution for this problem. And that is a person who you're, you're concerned about should record their participation and have it played in the service, even if they're sitting in the service, rather than have them do it live. And it's very simple. You simply go to the person and say, look, I want you to participate in the service. I want you to do it in the most meaningful way possible. And I know it will be very difficult for you emotionally to participate in this service. And so I want us to record your remarks and your presentation beforehand. And then we'll prepare it with editing and appropriate work prior. And we'll show that in the service as your, 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 your testimony or your words or your, your song or whatever it is you're asking them to share. You know, I've used this um, on several occasions in different contexts. And it really does give the person the opportunity to fully participate in the service and to really say what they'd like to say 
without all the emotional challenge and tension of doing that in public on the spot when there's so much emotion flowing from everyone in the room. And then finally, remember that when you're leading a memorial service that your focus is on leading the people toward exploration and adjustment. They may come to the service stuck in shock, anger, denial, or bargaining, or be anywhere in that process or be ricocheting around in that process, but your goal in the memorial service is to lead them toward exploration and adjustment of how they will move forward. Shared memories of the deceased are good, but the memorial service should culminate with a focus on God and the Word of God. And the service should be planned to culminate with responding to God, not celebrating the deceased. Now keep that in mind. The service will include celebrating the deceased, and that's very important, but it must culminate with responding to God and having him be our focus as we walk out of the room, thinking about God, eternal realities, and how we're going to go forward as a result of that. Now, there's one more big issue that I want to address. I'll just talk about it briefly, and that is you also have to, in this context, manage your own grief because you're part of the institution or the organization. You're also experiencing the profound loss of a person that was important to you, and you are going through the same things your followers are experiencing. So you may say, well, I just need to grieve along with them. And I would say, no, you do not. You need to grieve. Don't make a mistake about that. You can't deny and make it go away. you got to work through a grief process. But you do that best by turning to your friendship team, to the people that are, most around, that, that are your most supportive team members, to the people around you who share the leadership burden with you. You don't depend on your followers to sustain you while you're grieving. You do depend on the friends and colleagues you have to sustain you during this difficult time. So, for example, when the seminary was going through this institutional grieving process, I, I turned to some friends and told them about what I was experiencing and asked them to pray for me and shared some of the pain of the experience that I was living through. But with my followers here at the seminary, I tried to keep my focus on them and not have a service that was about me or about my needs or even about expressing my grief. While that needed to be done, it needed to be done in a different context so that when I come to the leadership role here, people can look to me to help them process and move where they needed to go. Now, I realize it's important to identify with people, and I certainly want to do that with empathy and compassion and all of those things. But I hope you can understand the fine line between using your followers to facilitate your grief and then and, and helping them to facilitate their own. And your challenge as a leader is to take care of your grief and to process your grief with your colleagues and your friendship team and people that are supportive around you so that you're equipped then to provide the leaderships needed for the leadership that's needed for the tens or the twenties or the hundreds of people who are looking to you and saying, can you help me through this grief process I'm feeling? Well, organizational or institutional grief is real. It's a sad day when someone passes away in a church or an organization and that person has impacted hundreds if not thousands of lives and so many people simultaneously are thrown into a grieving process. It's a challenge to lead in a context like that, but you still have to lead. Even though it's a difficult process and a difficult situation, you are still the leader. So step up and lead on.